0: is dismissed you want me to say it okay children y'all are dismissed In Christ Central, our pastor uh, Howard Brown is not here right now. Now there's his wife or his kids uh, because he is away. As you, if you were here last week, you heard that his aunt passed away, uh, and she was a um, a uh, particularly special aunt in his family. One that was uh, sort of took the place of his mom in his life in some uh, particular ways. And so uh, they're away grieving uh, the loss of her, but also celebrating her life. And uh, he's there, um, I think he's on the road right now on his way down to Charleston, um, to also preach the eulogy at that memorial service. So just keep the Browns in your prayers. Uh, we miss our pastor, we miss Kelly and the kids while they're gone, but uh, we look forward to seeing them again, Lord willing. And uh, this morning, for those of you who are uh, guests with us, um, my name is Amari Hill, I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And uh, we are um, not going to, well in some ways we'll continue in the series, that um, Pastor Howard has begun. When he comes back, he'll pick it up, you know, full steam ahead. As we've been looking at the mission statement of our church, what God has called us to, particularly what mission does Christ Central Church uh, have in this city, in this particular place, for uh, this particular community? So we'll get to go through that, uh, continue to go through that when he returns. But today um, we are going to uh, look at. The book of Acts and let me go ahead and read that scripture to you as I realize that has not been read yet so let me go ahead and uh, read the scripture to you and then we'll go into this for a little bit and I think you will see the connection however to uh, where pastor Howard had left off last week as we were exploring what it means to be freed by God to um, to hear his truth so we'll see some connections to that this morning If you turn your attention to God's words inside your worship folder Acts chapter 4. It says this. When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Easter is on the way. And for those of you who have been, uh, who are fans of the church calendar and all that kind of stuff, you, uh, many of you in this room I know are observing Lent right now, and maybe you've given up something for the season. Um, and um, oh, some of you may not know this. If you know, I didn't know this when um, I was much younger. And I tried to do Lent before, and I was like, you know, trying to give up something. You know, I give up chocolate for the season, right? And then I'm thinking, I just got to hold out for 40 days until Easter, and like, I really want some chocolate. Well, you know, traditionally, you can go ahead and eat that chocolate on Sundays, because Sunday is we celebrate, we gather together in the presence of God on Sundays because Jesus is risen, right? And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And so, Easter, we get mini Easter every single Sunday before Easter comes. So for those of you who were just kind of holding out, I don't know if it was a glass of wine or it was like some chocolate or, I don't know, Netflix or something like that, you can go ahead. You know, your conscience is free. On Sunday, just go ahead and celebrate, dip into that thing. (laughs) And then then tomorrow you got, you know, back to it. So I don't know, man, that was probably a word for somebody this morning. I just wanted to help you out. Just wanted to help you out a little bit. (laughs) So Easter's coming, right? And it's a time in which we're, we're, we're going to get to celebrate the resurrection. And, and not just a resurrection, any kind of resurrection, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is when uh, we, we look at that and we see what has happened and we see like, okay, Jesus was risen from the dead because God has appointed him as the judge and the king and the savior for all mankind. And so we begin, we're, we're looking forward to that and we, we want to celebrate that. And as Christians, as believers, we're called to bear witness to that resurrection. And that resurrection is something that all peoples will benefit from. So, but we're called to bear witness to the resurrected life um, two ways, by proclamation and by demonstration, right? By by what we say and by what we do, by our our doctrine and our lifestyle, as the, the scriptures say. And with lifestyle, that works out in two particular ways. The scriptures talk about demonstrating the good news in both holiness and righteousness. So holiness is, is living a, a lifestyle of repentance, one in which we are turning away from self-rule and more, more and more toward um, submitting to the Lord and his rule over our lives. And in, in righteousness is looking out in the world and seeing what are the broken things and how do I begin to be a part of redeeming those things in the world, right? So making things right, maintaining right relationships with with, with self, and with others, and with the world, um, with our city, with those who are sitting right next to you. That is righteousness. And so this time, as we're, we're working toward Easter, we're, we're supposed to be examining our lives, right, as we're, we're coming toward that resurrection celebration. Now, how am I doing with bearing witness to the resurrection? How, what, is, what is holiness, and what does righteousness look like in my life? And so we bear witness to the resurrected life, or the new life that Christ gives us. But that is never easy, <laughs> right? We try to do that. And we know, like, we, we start out and there, there are challenges, and it's pretty hard. And there are challenges that come from within, and there are challenges that come from outside of us. And the text that I just read to, to you all this morning, and that we just read together, focuses specifically on outside opposition uh, more than it does inward opposition. I know there's a the time to talk about the inward stuff, but this morning we're gonna focus a little bit more. On the outside opposition to bearing witness to the resurrected life of Jesus Christ and so one thing that we need to do as we do that is just follow the Apostles here look at this text a little bit closer and see what's happening what did they go through well how did it what kind of opposition did they did they really encounter and then how did they respond to it and how would they change by this opposition now if you've read the book of Acts before and you go a little bit before this passage that I read um, this morning, you see that Peter and John were people that were very close friends of Jesus. And they were commissioned by him to be apostles. And apostles just simply means sent out ones. But they were the ones who were sent out to establish the church. Um, They had the authority to do so. And so Peter and John were Jesus' closest friends, and and, uh, they had just gone to the temple as any uh, uh, religious person would do, you know, a normal time, they're going there during the time of prayer, the scripture says. Probably around three o'clock in the afternoon, people are gathered at the ninth hour at the temple to pray, right? And uh, so they're, they're there. And then, and at the, the gate, there's a gate called the Beautiful Gate at the temple. And so they, they get there and they see this man who's probably in his 40s. And he has been, the scripture said he'd been lame since birth, he hadn't been able to walk since he was born. And they come upon him, and this is the famous. Passage, you know, for those of you who've been around the scriptures for a while, you know, it's the man reaches out, right? And then, you know, and there's this, this sort of like, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you, right? And so um, they heal this man, and it causes a ruckus, you know, because after this miraculous thing happens, this man is able to get up and start walking. They want to know, like, by what authority did you, did this man just get healed? I mean, he had never been able to walk. There was no, no doctor that could help him. There was no technology avail- available to help him. And, and here it is, they, they, they spoke to this man, touched him, and he's able to walk. So how were you able to do this? And he and Peter and John began to proclaim: well, you know, hey, guess what? That God has finally sent his Messiah, he's risen, he's ruling over all things, and it's by his name that this man was healed. And, and so, you know, the next thing you know, it's like the religious leaders who were there. And the Sadducees, the people, the scriptures tell us, and the Sadducees are people who um, were uh, law keepers, and they were they were scholars of the day, religious scholars of the day. So they're there with the priests and other religious leaders, and and they're they're troubled by this. You know, you're talking about Jesus, right? Jesus, didn't we just crucify him, right? And and then you know his body disappeared. We don't we don't really know what happened to it, but all we know is like somebody's causing a bunch of trouble for us now. And we don't know what to do with that right and you know so these these religious and political leaders they're they're thinking that these followers of the Messiah are just more troublemakers more people who are going to call down uh, curses and trouble upon them for if you recall during this time in Judea the people were under Roman rule right they were they were you know they it's been Israel during this time has been described as sort of like the backwater Back orders of the Roman Empire, right? I mean, they were sold in the sticks, you know, and people didn't really desire to live there, all that kind of stuff, whatever. It wasn't as glorious as Rome and some other parts of the Roman Empire. But this is where this is our setting, and this is where the apostles are, and this is where God had chosen to reveal himself through his son, right, in a, in a marginalized place. God is in the business of exalting himself through the lowly things in the business of exalting himself through the lowly things. So, he, so here he is in, in Judea and, um, you know, the, all, the, all these folks, these leaders, and they're, they're like, wait a minute. Um, if you start proclaiming a king, other than Caesar, who's supposed to be lord over all things, all of a sudden the Roman authorities are going to come. And they're going to shut this place down. And, and, and the order that we have, Everything that we're beginning to enjoy, the things that we're, we're barely holding together are going to be ripped away from our hands. So you can't, you can't come in here and start proclaiming this message about a risen Lord for all peoples, all nations, who's supposed to be uh, the, the, the highest Lord, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. What? No, don't do that because you're going to cause trouble for the rest of us. And so they, they respond by arresting Peter and John. They put them in, they put them in jail. And they don't know what to do, and they say, well, okay, look, we, you know, the people are amazed. If we do anything other, more to them, if we bring more harm to these men, people are going to rebel against us, right? They're going to think something's wrong with us because, look, they just healed a man. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with healing somebody, right? What, what's wrong with helping somebody who's in need? And then, so what if they add a little bit of religion to it? They talk a little bit of Jesus or something like that. It's, it's fine, right? It's, it's sort of like what we, what we go through today. You know, some of us who work in social services and things like that is just kind of like, hey, look, you know, I don't mind if you drop a little Jesus here and there or something like that. Just, you know, as long as you're helping people out, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You bring your religion to it. Just don't come to me with your Bible, right? Don't, don't, don't do that. But as long as we're helping people, it's fine. But, so, but the, the, the apostles begin proclaiming Jesus. They go uber Bible study with it. They don't just go into your cubicle and start sharing scripture with you, but they start, like, they go through the whole office. They stand up like Jerry Maguire, and they're like, who's with me? Who's with Jesus? And they just start screaming through the whole office, right? And so everybody's disturbed. Could you imagine that, your job? Like, some, you know, the believer gets up and does that. And you're like, what in the world? Um, so this is, this is what, what happens, and so they're arrested. And they're charged with disturbing the peace. And if the local uh, authorities showed that they could not keep their constituents under control, then the Roman authorities would have to come and show them what's up. They'd they'd have to come and bring the hammer to keep control. They didn't want that. The status quo was at stake. And all the disturbers had to be handled. How many of you know that sometimes when the status quo is disturbed, you're going to get some opposition. You're going to get some opposition. Peter and John, these wonderful apostles, harmless men. They fit the description. So hands up. right? They're arrested by the authorities. And then what happened? The priests and the Sadducees demanded that Peter and John no longer speak about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Don't talk about this anymore. Keep your mouth shut. Sometimes when you have a proposal that will keep your company from wasting money, you may get muzzled. Sometimes when you exercise your God-given talents as a woman, the good old boy club is gonna stop right in there and call you too aggressive and you'll be muzzled. Sometimes challenging the status quo to bring life to broken things will get you muzzled. And this is what happened to Peter and John and happens to us. But one doesn't need to be religious in order to pursue righteousness and justice and peace at work and at home. Anybody can do that. Nor are hostile opposition or microaggressions familiar only to those who are familiar with the supernatural. Yet if hope, if hope, the hope that the gospel gives to us to set people free so that they can hear God's truth and be set free by our our witness is to happen, then we have to pay attention to these apostles. We have to pay attention to what happened in their lives. They were persecuted by their own people, and yet by the end of this text, we see them going forward in boldness and love. Do we want that this morning? How do we become bold and loving people who remain committed to the highest aims of our calling in spite of the temptation to be fearful and bitter. For the Christian, one of the greatest doctrines from the scriptures that gives us comfort in times of opposition is the sovereignty of God. It has helped believers out countless times, over and over again, and we see that word here in this text as they pray. If you look again, let's see I just hid the text behind all my notes here, but you see here, Verse 24, they begin the prayer and they say, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And what does sovereign mean? Sovereign comes from the same word from which we get our word, despot, which is a dictator, someone who wields absolute control over all things, absolute control over their own. And so Christians trust that the, the, the authority, the absolute authority that God exercises over the world is, is coming from a place of benevolence. That God is a benevolent dictator, one who seeks our good with whatever he does. So whenever a Christian encounters opposition to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, whether it's by word or by deed, right, whether it's by proclamation or by holiness and righteousness, Um, And and even when there are microaggressions against those actions uh, that that reflect God's character, we can take comfort, believers can take comfort in the fact that God's purposes will inevitably come to pass because he's sovereign. He's sovereign over all things, the heaven and the earth and all things within. But as you see in the book of Acts, if you uh, have ever read it or would like to read it after this Sunday, you see that the apostles attract more persecution and even wrongful execution. And yet still, they manage to be bold and loving people, bearing witness to the saving rule of Christ. In the shade of the, the, the after effects of the of his resurrection. But it wasn't doctrine alone that made them this way. Right? Because we could take this and think, okay, let me just read more scripture about. God's sovereignty and get that and then I'll be able to get right and I can become a bold and, and loving person the way that God desires for me to be no it wasn't just doctrine alone there's there's something else at work here and you'll almost miss it if you read this text a little too quickly verse 23 when they were released they what they went to their friends the Apostles capital A, apostles, foundation of the church. They needed friends. These people needed friends. Now, some of you have heard a little bit of my story. I just want to get personal here for a minute. Is that okay? Okay, so before I got into the ministry, Probably back in, well, this was like 1999, when I left New York City and moved to Dallas so I could go to Bible college and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I'm packing up my bags. God, I, I got the call to go into ministry, be a pastor. This is great. You know, the Lord's going to bless, and he's just going to provide all things. Amen. And I'm going to move on and, and do great things in the Lord's name. And so, you know, I moved halfway across the country and went to the southwest and like, big old culture shock, right? Uh, coming out of the Bronx, you know, going into Dallas. So I was like, what in the world? Um, <laughs> but God bless Texas. Um, so, so, you know, so I get there, and, um, you know, what happens? You know, I'm making a, like, decent salary. I've given that up, all kinds of sacrifices. And then, and, and I get there, and next thing I know, I'm, like, I'm working $7 an hour, earning $7 an hour at a bookstore just to make ends meet. You know, I get all of a sudden, I'm diagnosed with high blood pressure, um, Couple of other things without getting extremely personal, but in the midst of all that, I also lost my, my dad. And so I'm just like, wait, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> I thought, I'd, you know, I've I'd, I'd given up so much, like I made sacrifices, and I thought you called me to this. Why all of a sudden now am I experiencing so much external opposition? So many circumstances outside of my control that are just making this tough. But what helped me get through that? was not the doctrine of a sovereign God, but a sovereign God who had given me friends. I had friends, a circle of friends, who helped me to get through that and to get to where I am today. The Lord gave the apostles friends, and he gives us friends too, so that we can endure in this world and be the kind of witnesses that he wants us to be. The apostles didn't turn to their constituents or clients or stockholders or even their colleagues, but they went to their friends. They they got friendship. God's reviving, transforming work through friendship. Friends, y'all, I'm talking about friends. And as at the Council of Prophets back in the 80s, Houdini once said, friends. How many of us have them? We we need them. And for our purpose today, no, we don't just need friends, but we need friends of a certain quality. What is their quality? See, how do you know that you have friends who will help you through hell and high water no matter what comes to actually become deeply loving and bold people who are shaken by the power of God's spirit to bear witness to the saving rule of Jesus Christ? You need to have friends who know something of three things that I'll describe. God's identity, God's will, and God's heart. You need, to, you, need to have, you need to have friends that know something of God's identity, his will, and his heart. See, the scriptures say, the scripture we read today says that the, the apostles and their friends, that they lifted up their voices, confessing God as a benevolent ruler who created and sustains all things, right? We saw that in verse 23. So that there, there's a real distinction between us, the creatures, and our creator, so they're confessing their dependence upon him. They know who God is, right? He's the creator. But there's, there's other stuff here. Because, you know, we have, you know, I, I realize that we're all in different places of faith in this room. And we have friends who are in different levels of faith. And that there are many who would say that the burden of proof is on Christians to is somehow empirically prove the existence of an of a infinite creator who is somehow out there. But what the scriptures confess is that God... Is the ground of all being. Uh, Our fellow pastor and theologian, Tim Keller, he says this in, in his book, Making Sense of God. He says that all things that have being depend on God moment by moment for it. Without God, nothing would exist at all. Those who do not believe in God, by contrast, think that material objects exist on their own. Okay, why is that helpful? Because if... What he's saying is true. Um, then this would mean that God is not some physical object that is somehow out there in the world that we can locate, like a box or bush or tree or something like that. Right? He's not some physical object that's out there that that can be discovered and examined. I mean, God tells us in His Word that He is holy, other. There is no being like Him. So when you, so we we need God to be able to um, to say to us who He is. We need God to be able to reveal himself to us. There is no amount of, of scientific research or well, sociological research or whatever it is that will give us everything that we need in order to discover who God is. He must reveal himself to us. And so and see they say this in their prayer right They said right here in, in verse 25 they could have said, who is this you know sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. The God had to reveal himself, and he did it through his prophets and various people throughout the ages. God is creator, and he is the sustainer of our lives, and he reveals himself to us. Okay, so this is, this is where friendship connects to that whole deal. This is where friendship matters. If the material world exists on its own, then friends who insist that you stick to all of your moral obligations are fooling themselves. And they're fooling you. And they should they should just tell you to go ahead and, and, and play the game and somehow just get to the top like everybody else does in the world. You know, do you, as people say. Right? They should just just do that. I mean, you know, when when you're committed to providing an education that promotes social equity but then you have to contemplate therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder because your students are struggling with the same thing, you'll be tempted. You'll need a friend who knows that God is your life. When you're committed to creating art that bears witness to God's beauty in a marginalized community, but then you have to contemplate getting a part-time job that you probably hate because of housing costs, you'll need friends who know that the source of life will sustain you and will lead you with his word. Those are the kinds of friends that you need in these moments, friends who know something of who God is. Okay, so that that one's quick. God's identity, God's will, friends who who know something of the will of God. Friends like Dr. King, who was convinced that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. You need friends like that, See, so Peter and John's friends, they hear what they, what they begin to quote. They quote from one of the Psalms, which speaks of the persecution of Israel and its king uh, many years before Jesus showed up. Again, in verse 25, it says, he, they quoted, Why, why did the, the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right? There's something terrible happening in real space and time, in history, something is happening that's shaking up an entire community. They were convinced, though, that this wasn't just speaking of a king of the past, but that this psalm was speaking of the king that God would eventually send, that king being Jesus. And they they were convinced that Jesus had been anointed by God to become king, not only over all his people, but over all people, over all nations. But his people... Israelites, along with Gentiles, persecuted Jesus. Why? Verse 28. To do whatever your hand, speaking of the Father, and your plan had predestined to take place. Wait a minute, what? they gone through all this? God's King has suffered? because it had, this had been part of his Father's will from the very beginning? Right? What, what is God up to? Jesus went to the grave and conquered death through his death so that we could have life in his name according to the will of the Father. Our salvation, our rescue, our renewal, our redemption is not an accident. It was planned from, by the Lord from the very beginning. And so we, along with those who stood against Jesus, deserved to be left to fend for ourselves under death's tyranny because of our willingness to serve Him, our unwillingness to serve Him in His way. But God had already worked it out. He'd already worked out a way for us to get out, so that our rebellion against Jesus would lead to our liberation. The things that our ancestors had performed, Transgressing against God, I mean, sinning against him and and abusing him and abusing his people would turn out to be part of our salvation. That's that's ridiculous. (laughs) But that's our God. That's what he does. That's how he's at work. That's how he works out our salvation. That's how marvelous and and wonderful and fantastic and sovereign, how sovereign he is. God is Lord over history. And he calls us all things to work toward the good of those that love him, as the scriptures tell us. Sometimes you may feel locked up because you live in a city where swinging, hooking up are acceptable. I'm talking to my single friends and married friends. But you got to spend one more night staying pure because of Jesus. Meanwhile, deep down, you're wondering if your best friend will abandon you as soon as she finds a husband or if your spouse will leave you when they've had enough of your weaknesses, we're tempted to stop bearing witness and just give up. The opposition is too much. In these situations, you need friends. Friends who will not say to you, YOLO, you only live once, but will remind you that God is literally moving every hour every second every moment every day every year in every age to vindicate those who have placed their trust in him God is at work in history for your good and you need friends who are going to believe that for you we have a saying that we say at Christ central a lot there are times when you need friends who can believe for you right when you, you just you just can't all times you are like I don't get it like I'm struggling <laughs> we have we had a moment we have a um, a small group, you know, our pastors, and we, used to, we had a moment in which, you know, one of us was just struggling, and friends just stepped in immediately, sending text messages and all kinds of stuff, you know, right, with reminders, scriptures, and prayers, and thoughts, and um, you know, hang in there, keep going. Here's here's what's happening, you know, here's how faithful God is. So I mean, we, sometimes we need others to believe for us. So we need friends who not only know something about who God it is, his identity, but we need friends who know something about his will. But finally, we need friends who know something of his heart. Look with me again at verse 29. It says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Okay, stop there. What do you think is supposed to come next? Look upon their threats and kick them. <laughs> right? Look upon their threats and send a tornado, right? Um, you know, think of Peter. Now look, Peter's in the mix. Think of what happened with Peter. Remember, remember Peter in the in the garden of Gethsemane when they came to get Jesus, and they threatened. They threatened. Oh, you don't threaten my king. Oh no, you don't. And he takes out the sword and starts cutting, right? I mean, just but but they don't say that. They don't say that. Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, keep being good to your enemies. Keep being good to those who oppose you. Bring healing. Let the gospel keep going forward that many lives can be saved. What kind of response is that? How do you get that? Where does that come from? Right? So they don't say, God of all creation, sustainer of all life, the one who is eminent ruler over history and justice, do your worst, you know? But that's where we go sometimes, isn't it? Like when you're passed over for that promotion and you feel mocked, marginalized, violated, or betrayed, you'll be tempted to take revenge to pray down curses on your boss or your supervisor whoever. When you commit yourself to a multicultural church, making several sacrifices, some that you don't even know about, in order to be there, and you get ignored, you feel mocked, marginalized, betrayed, violated, and you'll be tempted to take revenge, tear the whole thing up. And we're ready to abandon what our our former first lady once told us, right? Take the high road. Instead, we head straight for the low road. But if you have no authority above your feelings, no authority above our culture, no authority above reason or natural order, then you have no real moral obligation to take the high road. Why would you do it? Just to protect yourself? But instead of answering threats with threats, Peter and John and their friends asked the Lord for boldness to proclaim the liberating message of Christ's kingdom, that many will be healed and revived in his name. That's love. That's love. And it's that love that has established a community for centuries. And the church has become worldwide, stretches from Chicago to Papua New Guinea love, love has rescued us. love has established us. And that, that's a prayer that was coming from friends who know something of the God who cried out on the cross, "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They knew God's heart. They knew His heart for the world and, it, and that, that made a difference in how they responded to opposition. It makes they know that God, uh, God's heart for the world is, is, is one in which he wants to make decisions and build uh, structures that, that promote wholeness, even for those people who are against his ways. The second part here is key. For there will be times when, as a Christian, as a believer, you will encounter moods and policies and environments that do not match with the heart of God and you won't be able to trace their source to a person or even a whole group. And then, you know, as I think about this, I think in those moments, that's probably a sign that something diabolical is at work, that the enemy is working. Systemic injustice is usually a sign that there are spiritual forces at work, subjecting us to our own sins and subjecting us to the, the worst parts of our nature and trying to bring things out. We can't even put a finger on who started the whole thing. Where is this coming from? Structures and institutions that just feel hostile toward or dismissive of the Lord will frustrate you as they they, they take things that are beautiful and good and right and dis- distort them. I mean, we can all think of different institutions and procedures and environments that distort children and distort Women and distort men, and we're like, what, what, what's going on? Who started all this? Right when when some of our protectors become the judge and the jury and the executioner of the disenfranchised. When 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 pop music and and R and B become a temple of sensual pleasure, and a distorter of manhood. When fashion becomes a culprit of misogyny and self hatred. When journalism simply becomes a, a means of entertainment for the cynic. You, you, You'll be tempted to call down threats, but who do you call it down on? Where did all this stuff come from? You'll need friends who will remind you that this is not the time to become fearful and violent and to throw in the towel. You'll need friends who will remind you that God has proved his love for us by sending his son to give his life away. Friends who will help you do that, They'll help you to believe it. Because it is through them that you can go into to these good places that have been distorted, twisted by sin's corruption, and suffer with their tensions so that the kingdom is proclaimed and many people can be healed. Through the love of Christ. Friends who equip you with that love. See, we need, we need these kinds of friends in order to hear God's truth. Friends who will speak these things, uh, as it were, into our lives, who will help us, to encourage us to move deeper into the fray rather than running away from it. I think this is so important for our times. If I can speak frankly, just they were just, you all know this. I mean, the stuff that was just happening over the past couple of years, the way that all people were engaged in politics, and just you went online, and just the vitriol the, the, the violent language that people used, no matter what side you were coming from, it was just terrible. And these were Christians. You know, you just just of wow, this stuff was happening in the church. The way that people were talking to each other, you would think they weren't brothers and sisters. You would think so there wasn't a king. Is, is Jesus not alive? Is he not risen? Has, 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 he, not, has he not shown that he's going to make everything all right, that he's going to turn all the upside down things right side up? That he has us in his hand, that we don't belong to him, but he has purchased us and made us his own. And that we are not just friends, we're brothers and sisters. And why do we speak to each other that way? Over oh, politics? Politics. A government, a political system. Read your history. These things burned down. The Roman Empire was around for 500 years, gone. Who talks about the Romans anymore? I mean, if you walk around talking like dressing like a Roman, you look stupid. You know, just like what was what, that guy doing? You do it when there's like I don't know, like if Gladiator Part Two comes out or something like that. Then you dress up like a Roman or something like oh I'm a, I mean, people don't walk around saying I'm a Roman. You know, like what these these things they come and go, but the word of the Lord stands forever, right? The, the scriptures tell us that we were born not of a perishable seed but an imperishable one, right? We're brothers and sisters, we all we should not. Treat each other this way. But a lot, of, a lot of that kind of conversation, the tone in which we spoke to each other online and in person, comes from this place in which we have looked at opposition from without and we became scared, fearful, and violent instead of responding and gathering with one another in love and boldness. We need true friends who will help revive the church, who will redeem our lives in these times of trial. We need friends who know something of God's identity, his will, and his heart, which is to say simply that we need friends who know God. That's it. Those who know God will pray to him. They'll pray to him with boldness, which is exactly what Peter and John's friends did. So I think two questions still remain for us in our time together, two of them first one is how do we get friends like the Apostles had I think some of that's pretty easy you just connect with the church in the church is where you're supposed to find these kinds of friends if you're a believer or if you're considering becoming a Christian right I mean here particularly in our in our context in this city we love Sunday brunch Sunday brunch is awesome we look forward to it I mean some of us are probably already looking at the watch like how long is he gonna go on because I'm ready to get something to eat right and we love it. And that's a perfect opportunity to invite someone else with you. Right? If you think of just one person, just right here in this room, I mean, it's easy. Just look around. Who's one person that you don't know? Invite them to come with you. You like to go eat? Bring them with you. They probably like to eat, too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they want to eat. <laughs> and a great example of this is, is um, our brother whom you heard from already, right? the Snyders. I mean, they do this twice a month, inviting college students Undergrads and graduate students you know who who have moved to the city and are far away from home and and some who are close to their family But because of their work and stuff like that are not able to really reconnect in certain ways Like the way that they would hope or that they invite them to their house. How many of us could do that? is a great example of, of how of what we can do, you know Thank God for the Sniders and the others of you who who have been doing this on a consistent basis Thank you so much. Look, this is, because this is how we get friends for the journey. This is how we get friends for life, what the Lord wants us to have. And we also have community groups, and we have learning communities. I mean, come on. Look, this, if you looked in here, if you're a woman in here, which is probably more than half of you, I mean, look, look, look at this. Women's learning communities. There's a ton of stuff on here. I mean, this is double-sided, for goodness sake. I mean, wow. Um, you know, there's, there's places where you can go, right, to make friends, um, friends who will, who know something of the Lord, his heart and his will and his identity. Right? We, all, we, got, we have uh, ministry teams and things like that, and you heard about our needs for, like, the Easter egg hunt. We have needs within the, chil- the children's ministry, within youth ministry. I and mean, you can join some of those ministry teams, and as you're serving, as you're, you're helping others, you'll, you'll, you'll start to make some friends. It'll happen. Right, and then when you get into these different things, into some of the events, and the like the big men's event that's coming up that that the Griggs are gonna do, Dave's putting that on at his house. You know, uh, and you go to some of these things, and then you meet other people, and then uh, as you go to, then you have an opportunity to get to know some other folks, and then see if they know the Lord. Right? you're kind of talking to them, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about like how you got here and what's going on, right? And you get to find out a little bit, hear their testimony, and share things with, you, share your stories with each other. And then who knows what can happen after that? Next thing you know, you guys are starting to have uh, a regular coffee times with each other. You're going out uh, for lunch with each other, happy hour, sports night, whatever it is, working out with each other, you know, working out in twos or threes, that kind of deal, right? Getting, getting, um, you know, keeping up your New Year's resolution and that sort of stuff, right? Which I've already failed at. But, um, you know, you know, some people, it's a great opportunity to, to connect with others. Just don't forget that as you're doing that to to just... Share some of your struggles and pray for one another. That part's kind of easy. My other question is not really that easy, which is this. How do I become a friend like the apostles? Right? How do I become a friend that the apostles and every other follower of Christ needs? How do I do that? Because as you've been sitting here and listening to this and following along, you could walk away today feeling completely condemned and helpless. Like, man, you know, I've been a terrible friend. Uh, What am I supposed to do? For the answer, look again to Peter and John. For in their hour of need, they went to their friends, asking for prayer where did they learn this from did they not learn it from their master was it not Jesus who prevailed upon them for prayers in the garden of Gethsemane during his darkest hour was it not Peter and John along with the other nine disciples who actually went to sleep terrible friends instead of enduring a little fatigue for the one who gives them breath was it not for Peter and John that Jesus went to the cross Without a friend, didn't Jesus go there for you? Behold, the risen Christ seated at God's right hand, interceding for you in your trials and your weaknesses every single day. The song says, what a friend we have in Jesus all of our sins and grieves to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Let the bold love of Christ drop deep down into your heart. And when it does that, the Spirit of God will shake you just as he shook these believers in this text. Let the love of God go deep. And as you come to experience God's infinite love for you in Christ, during the week and in this Sunday service, you'll find a desire to proclaim his kingdom and a desire to share his healing power and his healing love with others, even if it means just a little bit of discomfort. But you'll be shaken by the Spirit. When you're shaken by him, you become friends, not only for each other, but for the life of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a friend of sinners. Thank you for giving to us not only a model of friendships, a model of friendships through the apostles and through Jesus but thank you for giving us your spirit who shakes us and enables us to be the kind of friends that the world needs not just believers but those who don't call upon your name they need us because they need you Lord we pray that you would right now that you would uh, uh, break our hearts once again for the needs of our neighbors starting with the people right beside us and in our homes, that we could come to be witnesses, bear witness to the new life that Jesus has has given and that Jesus wants to give to, to all peoples and to all nations. Father, we stand in need of your transforming grace. Pray that you would give it to us. Make us more like you. That we can be true friends for the life of the world. Pray it so God. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.